0: What Makes a Killer contains graphic details of sexual assault and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is strongly advised. November 30, 1989, Central Florida. A 51-year-old man picked up a sex worker from the side of the road and had no
1: idea that she would turn out to be a cold-blooded killer. She was just utterly remorseless. This was somebody who enjoyed watching men die.
2: She shot him four times with a nine-shot revolver.
1: In a murderous
0: rampage, Eileen Warnos targeted middle-aged, wealthy men with expensive cars.
3: Very few women have ever killed in such a violent and vile manner in history.
0: Eventually, she was recorded confessing by her girlfriend.
4: What Go to jail. I have to myself. Why the hell did you do this? Why did you do this?
0: In just one year, this female serial killer callously shot, robbed, and murdered seven men because she felt like it. This is what makes a killer. A series that chronicles the lives and crimes of the world's most notorious killers. I'm your host, Jennifer Notoso. In every episode. We'll trace a killer's origins, examine their behavior, and follow their path to bloodshed. In this episode, we'll discuss Eileen Warnos. This killer story begins in 1956. Eileen Warnos was born on February 29th in Rochester, Michigan. Her mother was 16 years old when she gave birth and unable to raise her. Author and journalist Jeffrey Wansel and criminologist Dr. Elizabeth Yardley talk about Warnos's troubled past.
3: By March 1960, when Eileen's just four, she's formally adopted by her mother's parents, her grandparents.
1: She had a really brutal upbringing with them, so she was regularly beaten, By her grandfather, there were allegations of incest within the family. Detective Brian Jarvis says Warnos's grandfather
0: had a specific way he would punish the young girl.
2: Her grandfather had a home-built sauna in his house. And if he wanted to punish her for doing something he didn't like, he'd lock her in the sauna and crank up the heat and just let her stay in there.
0: Eileen's abusive childhood fueled her hatred of
1: men and would eventually contribute to her downward spiral. This was somebody who was constantly in fear. Muaynos' grandfather allegedly, repeatedly said to her that she was worthless, that she should never have been born, that she was a mistake. So she's learning that she can't trust anyone, that she can't depend upon anybody. And this is very, very dangerous.
0: Eileen learned early to use any means necessary to survive. Detective David Taylor talks about the nickname she earned
5: before she got to her teen years, uh, she was known as a cigarette bandit. She would trade sexual favors for packs of cigarettes.
1: It's said that from around age 11, she's using her body as something to trade, as a tool. And this kind of disconnection from her emotions is something that, that is gonna have a significant impact on the rest of her life.
0: At just 14 years old,
1: Eileen became pregnant with her first child. Now, on the orders of her grandfather, that baby is adopted. It's taken away from her. And this is just reinforcing those ideas that that she already has, that those who are supposed to love me hurt me, that I am worthless, that I'm not deserving of love. Shortly after being forced to give up her baby, Eileen was hit with another tragedy. Her grandmother dies of liver failure, having been quite a heavy drinker for many years. Her grandfather actually blames her for her grandmother's death.
3: Her grandfather was furious and threw Wornos out of the house.
1: Now 15,
0: Wornos was left homeless. Alone, her only option was to
1: live in the woods at the end of their street. She lives a very feral existence, sleeping in an old car. And she's still a child at this point. And and this is incredibly damaging. There is absolutely nobody there for her. She is literally just taking each day as it comes. She's making sure that she has enough to eat. Um, She is, is basically using her body as she's used it before. She's learning that life is full of rejection, it's full of pain, it's full of fear, and that she really needs to hurt others before they get the chance to hurt her.
0: One person she was still close to was her brother Keith. He was 11 months older than eileen and the rumor was that their relationship was not a natural one there were
1: allegations of incest um school friends of keith said that they'd witnessed these things going on so she felt a connection but it was a very pathological and a very
0: toxic one eileen was unable to cope with living outdoors during michigan's frigid winter months eventually she found herself hitchhiking over 1,000 miles west to Colorado's milder climate. Two years later, she was arrested for her first offense, driving under the influence and disorderly conduct, a charge which included the dangerous discharge of a 22 caliber weapon. In 1976, at age 20, she hitchhiked 2,000 miles south to sunny Florida.
3: It is no accident that very shortly after She gets to Florida. She falls in love with, or at least decides to marry, a 69-year-old man called Louis Gratz Fell. He was president of the Yacht Club, but it was a doomed marriage.
1: She's been incredibly violent towards him. Eileen was actually beating him up. She was hitting him with his own walking cane. Louis filed a restraining order against Warnos and then filed for
0: divorce just weeks after they were married. While the proceedings were going on, Eileen received some devastating family news. In
1: 1976, her brother Keith dies of throat cancer, and she's absolutely beside herself. And even though their relationship was an incredibly abnormal and dysfunctional one, she felt that she had an ally in him, but now she was completely on her own. Warnos
0: inherited $10,000 when her brother died.
3: She spends it almost within weeks. Guns, cars, motel rooms. And then she decides she has to sustain this lifestyle and turns to armed robbery to do it.
0: In 1981, Warnos was arrested for stealing $35 and two packs of cigarettes from a convenience store. She spent over a year in jail, but that didn't deter her. Over the next decade, her criminal activity escalated.
1: Eileen wanted a certain lifestyle. She really did demonstrate versatility. She was being arrested for driving under the influence, for assault and battery, for for
3: robbery. One man claimed when she was a prostitute again, that she whipped a gun out and put it to his head and demanded $200. She was, to put it politely, out of control.
0: Then in 1986, Warnos met a woman who changed her life.
3: When she met Tyree, what, what Aileen
2: thought, this is my soulmate. This is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with, and I will do anything for this girl.
0: Al Bulling, the owner of the Last Resort Bar in Daytona Beach, remembers Warnos well.
5: She used to come in here. She'd, she shoot pool here with her girlfriend Ty. She was a she was a little mouthy with Aileen. If she needed a beer, she'd sit on a pool table, and. Kind of demand her get her another beer or whatever.
0: Having blown her inheritance, Warnos took it upon herself to raise the money that the two needed to survive.
2: Eileen would go out and prostitute to make money so that she could buy things for Tyria. She would want to take care of her and make sure she was happy and and never want to leave her. And I think that was what it boiled down to.
0: Thirty-three-year-old Eileen Warnos was now living with her girlfriend Tyra Moore, and was indulging in a host of petty crimes to maintain their lifestyle. The frequency and the force of these crimes was increasing. It all came to a head the night she was picked up by 51-year-old Richard Mallory. Criminologist Dr. Elizabeth Yardley and Detective Brian Jarvis explain what happened that fateful
1: night. Richard Mallory owned an electrical repair shop and he'd been divorced for for many years and he didn't make any secret of the fact that he did enjoy engaging in the services of sex workers.
2: He picked her up hitchhiking, they were drinking, they were hanging out as it were and one thing led to another, uh, some type of violent encounter where she ended up killing him. She shot him four times with a nine-shot revolver. She took a couple of pieces of property that belonged to him, a camera and a radar detector, and she pawned them. She made some money off of the deal.
0: When Richard Mallory's body was found two weeks after he was killed, there was no evidence of what sparked her rage. Detective David Taylor talks about how the body was discovered.
5: His body was found, it it was very decomposed. Basically, all we have to work with is what we have found at the crime scene the physical evidence and the trace evidence, etc. We do know that he was shot multiple times and his victim was found in a secluded area right outside the city of Daytona.
0: What triggered Eileen Warnos and turned her into a killer that night? According to her, Richard Mallory, a convicted sex offender, tried to rape her, so she shot him. His death marked the beginning of a dark and deadly
1: chapter in Eileen's life. For her entire life, Wernos has been victimized by men. She's been abused by them. But now, she's turned the tables. She's the one that's in control, and she's very much enjoying it because she's learned from a very early age that violence equals power, and she really is on quite a high at this point.
0: That kill was the first, but not the last. Six months later, Warno struck again.
2: There's usually a, what they call a brief cooling-off period, and this absolutely... Applied A large part of it was due to her paranoia and her fear of of getting caught. And and when she came back from that brief cooling off period, now she was the predator. She was looking for who she was going to kill next.
1: She's somebody who's being proactive. She's seeking out victims. She's getting access to them. She has an opportunity to harm them, and she takes that opportunity.
2: These men, they were all white males. They were all traveling the roads alone. They were middle aged, 40 to 65.
0: On May 19, 1990, she was picked up on I 75 by 43 year old machine operator David Spears. After pulling over, David began to undress. Warnos slipped out the passenger side door, walked around to the driver's side, aimed, and fired. Author and journalist Jeffrey Wansel says Warnos was trying to make a statement.
3: He'd been shot six times. One shot was not enough for Warnos. She was making a point with her killings. She was saying, this is for all the men who have abused me over the years.
1: This was somebody who enjoyed watching men die because for the first time in her life, she was powerful. She was the one in control. She was the one calling the shots.
0: David was last seen in the afternoon by his son leaving work to meet up with his ex-wife. When he didn't show, his family reported him missing.
2: Our patrol division had come upon a vehicle that was abandoned on I-75. It was in the southbound lane on the shoulder. It had a flat tire. And when they ran the VIN number on the vehicle, it came back to David Spears, who had been reported a missing person. We searched the area, we secured the vehicle to process it, and we found that she had taken some stuff out of the vehicle and tossed it off the side of the road into the the weeds. The items included the license plate or the tag from the car.
0: The body of David Spears was found less than two weeks later dumped in nearby Citrus County, just a few miles from I-75. On May 31st, Warnos went on the prowl again. In Pasco County, Florida, 40 year old Charles Karskaden, a part time rodeo rider, picked up Warnos about 30 minutes north of Tampa.
2: He was traveling back from St. Louis. He had been up there visiting his mother, and he drove back from St. Louis to the Tampa area where he was living with his fiance. And just before he got to Tampa, he encountered Eileen.
0: Eileen had developed a deadly M.O. Once a man picked her up,
1: his fate was sealed. They would drive away and she'd be undressing and they'd find a, a remote location she'd encourage the victim to also remove his clothes
0: as charles undressed again warno slipped out of the car and came around to the driver's side at point blank range she fired
3: she didn't just kill she shot charles cascadden nine times
0: once she was sure he was dead she took his car and his possessions
2: she didn't do that with Richard Mallory, she just took items she could use. Now she's starting to gather those, those souvenirs and those trophies and and uh, it's becoming a passion of hers to do this stuff.
0: She then dumped Charles's body a few miles from the highway in Pasco County.
5: She left these victims basically in the middle of nowhere and to do that to another human being, there's zero compassion, she's pure evil.
0: Just a week after her last killing, the predator was on the hunt again. On June 7th, Warnos chose to return to her favorite highway, I-75 in Central Florida.
1: After three murders,
0: she had honed her technique.
1: Warnos's victims were all men who drove expensive cars, so they were the the symbol of success.
0: That night, 65-year-old Christian missionary Peter Sims had left his home in Jupiter, Florida, and was driving north on I-75.
5: Peter Sims was on a road trip, and he never made it to his destination.
2: His intent was to drive up to New Jersey, and from there he had planned on going over to Arkansas. He had a number of Bibles in the car with him. He was going to pass them out along the way.
0: Along the way, for some reason, Peter Sims picked up Eileen Warnos.
3: He could not have thought of as a more upright character. He also took part in an outreach Christian ministry. But I think that that f- infuriated Warnos because she thought, you hypocrite, I'm going to kill you. And she duly did.
0: The following month, the car was found in Ocala National Forest, 50 miles west of Daytona Beach. The evidence discovered would point to Warnos as the terrifying serial killer targeting middle aged men across the Sunshine State. Criminologist Dr. Elizabeth Yardley and Detective David
1: Taylor described the shootings. She was just utterly remorseless. She didn't just shoot them once. She'd shoot them three times, four times, five times.
5: They had all been shot with a small caliber weapon, namely a .22. And another trait that these victims shared was that they had all been robbed with their personal effects. Uh, their pants pockets pulled inside out. Their personal ID was missing. And their vehicles was missing as well.
0: On July 4th, 1990, the car belonging to 65-year-old Peter Sims was found abandoned in the Ocala National Forest in Orange Springs, an hour drive from Daytona Beach.
3: This is interesting because his body has never been discovered. The only way we know that he's dead is that his car was taken by Moore and Wuornos and driven around. Aileen and Tyria
2: had decided that they wanted to go see the fireworks in Daytona Beach. As they were driving, they noticed a sign that indicated there was an Indian reservation up in the Ocala Forest. They turned around and Tyria was going just a little bit too fast. She went off the road, the car turned on its passenger side and slid. The engine had stalled out, the carburetor had flooded, they couldn't get it started.
0: The witness reported the suspicious encounter to the Marion County Police Department, who went to investigate.
2: Now. The one thing that was important to note here
5: was that was the first time somebody actually saw these girls. We had received a telephone call through our 911 center that a vehicle had crashed in the community of Orange Springs, Florida. And walking away from that vehicle were two women.
0: When they got to the scene, investigators searched the car and made note of its distinct condition.
5: The license
2: plate had been removed the driver's side seat was in the forwardmost position and we would find that certain things were missing from his vehicle. In this case, it was his receipt book and cash. So at this point, we have another missing person, we have no idea what happened to him.
0: Using the vehicle's VIN number, the car was soon identified as belonging to missing person Peter Sims.
2: We searched the areas extensively, I don't know if it was for days or weeks, but it was a long time that we spent up there looking for Peter Simms' body, looking for any type of evidence.
0: The police found a series of pawn shop tickets in the car. When they tracked down the store, they made a major breakthrough in the case.
2: One pawn ticket we found was for a box of tools, and that's what was, one of the things that was stolen from David Spears. The other pawn ticket we found was for a 35mm camera and a radar detector. That's what was stolen from Richard Mallory.
0: They submitted the car for forensic examination, which led to an important discovery on the driver's side door handle.
3: Wuornos leaves a palm print in Seams' car, which will eventually become extremely significant.
1: Warnos would pawn many of the items that she stole from her victims in order to, to get some fast money, and her fingerprints would still be on these items. Now, because Eileen had such a significant criminal record, her fingerprints were on file, and it was only going to be a matter of time before they were matched up and she was connected to these murders. But before police could
0: piece the puzzle together, Warnos struck again.
2: It became very frustrating, and, and I can remember even at times thinking, are we going to be able to solve this? Are we going to be able to come up with something? And every time we got another body, it, it mounted. It, it, you know, it, it got worse.
0: On July 30th, Warnos targeted her fifth victim, a 50 year old salesman named Troy Burris.
2: Troy Burris, he had gone out to do a delivery run. And when he got to Daytona, he headed north up into Ormond Beach, made a few stops up there, turned around. When he was returning, to the plant, he disappeared.
0: On the way back to Daytona, he picked up Eileen. Like previous victims, Troy pulled up at a secluded spot. Minutes later, Warno shot him twice at point blank range.
2: One of our deputies came upon his truck and had been abandoned at the intersection of State Route 40 and 19, very isolated area.
0: A month later, she took her sixth life. On September twelfth, 56-year-old retired police chief Charles Dick Humphreys was exiting I-75 when he picked up Eileen Warnos. They drove to a deserted location a few miles off the highway in southwestern Marion County and pulled over. David Taylor was the homicide detective called to the scene.
5: The evidence is consistent with Mr. Humphreys getting out of the vehicle from the driver's side. We're looking at alien Warnos getting out from the passenger side. And it was at that point that shots rang out. So Mr. Humphreys is shot several times. He staggers over to this location, and that's where Mr. Humphreys collapses. But what was so Important to us was the fact that he was shot one time at a close non-contact range, meaning that the gun was held only just a few inches away from his chest when that round was fired.
0: Warno
1: shot Charles Humphreys seven times. She's using much more violence than she needs to get the job done. It shows to me that she's enjoying this overkill. It's not enough to kill him. She has to destroy this individual. And this is somebody whose behavior is escalating. By autumn of that year,
0: investigators were still unable to identify the killer and stop the murders.
2: By the time Mr. Humphreys was killed, we had thought, about there being a connection. So we had contacted every agency in Central Florida, whether it was on a local, state, or federal level, because we didn't know anything. We were were almost in the dark on this, and it was very
5: frustrating.
0: Officers revisited the evidence from the previous six murder cases, searching for clues.
5: And it wasn't more than just a couple weeks later when Sergeant Brian Jarvis was actually going through other cases in Florida that had very similar M.O.'s, such as an older white male shot multiple times, vehicle missing, and shot with a small caliber weapon. And it was Brian that began to connect a couple dots.
0: By the winter of 1990, a task force was formed made up of detectives from several of Florida's counties.
5: We actually all met at the Marion County Sheriff's Office. That's when this picture began to evolve. Now, there's a possibility these cases could be related.
0: While the police continued their investigation, Warnos was free to kill again.
2: The most important thing on our minds at that point is we got to stop the killing. We have to do something to stop the killing. And then we started with the task
3: force, and we had another body. It was, it was devastating. She kills Walter Gino Antonio, a man of 62, who was found in a logging uh, road. He'd been shot four times in the back and the head, and his car had been stolen.
0: Antonio's abandoned car was found five days later, just south of Daytona Beach in Brevard County.
5: Walter Gino Antonio was a reserve deputy sheriff with the Brevard County Sheriff's Office. And some of the things that were taken from him personal effects were like a set of handcuffs and a flashlight.
0: For the task force, another murder was a mighty blow.
2: It's like, why couldn't we do more? You know, how could we let this happen? It's kind of a personal blame. And uh, what can we do?
0: The task force refocused on the case of missing man Peter Sims, hoping to find clues that would lead them to the killer.
5: We were perplexed with that case because we had not located his body but he was a middle aged white male. The biggest piece of evidence in that case was we had eyewitnesses that seen these two females leaving the scene of that crash.
0: After interviewing the witnesses, police were able to draw a composite sketch of the two women, and that changed everything.
2: I think the eureka moment came the first time we went public. Within the first hour of releasing these composites, We had a call that came in, it was item number five, our fifth lead that named Tyria and Aileen. And in very short sequence, we had three other leads come in that also named the same girls. So now we knew
5: there was something to that. Those leads eventually took us to some biker bars. Now we have undercover investigators that are now going from bar to bar, looking for people that look familiar with the people in in the composite sketches.
0: One of the undercover officers sent to find the suspected serial killer was Mike Joyner.
4: I was the lieutenant over a special investigation unit, SIU unit. They called me in to a meeting and said that they had found out that she was staying in Daytona or close to Daytona and wanted me to go over there and see if I could find her in some of those biker bars over there and maybe, you know, get close to her.
0: The walls were closing in on Eileen Warnos.
3: She is a woman who took pleasure in not only killing but also robbing her victims.
1: Warnos is targeting adult men and she's a sex worker. It's normally the sex workers who are vulnerable victims of their clients. So she looks very different. She kills like a man. She is right in front of them watching them die and really quite enjoying it. After a composite sketch was released to the public, dozens of leads
0: came in and Eileen Warnos was identified as the prime suspect.
2: When we reviewed the leads, it showed us that they had ties to the locations that we were looking at. It indicated that they'd gone inland, which would have been Marion County, and then to the east coast, which was Daytona Beach. So a number of the undercover officers from all over the state that we were working with went over to Daytona Beach in an attempt
4: to locate her.
0: Within a couple of days, she was found by undercover officer Joyner.
4: I walked in a bar down there and, uh, I saw she was shooting pool, and I recognized her, and she had a bad scar on her forehead. Did my heart go to racing and beating? No. An off her. worst enemy can be himself if he don't control his emotions. So I just ordered another beer and kept on working. But I knew I had her, and I knew I wasn't going to let it out of my sight.
0: Mike spent three days following Warnos around the biker bars in the area. In his bid to get close to her, Joyner even slept at her favorite hangout, the Last Resort.
4: And they had school buses, seats, all on the back porch, and that's where I slept, was on the school bus. And then they opened the bar up at 7 o'clock, went back inside and went drinking again, shooting pool. I mean, that's all you're done. You shot pool and drank beer. And she had no money, and I had all the money, so who was she going to stay the closest to? Fitz got to know her from then on. I had to, and I started buying her beer and playing pool, I and mean, you kind of hung together.
0: With the task force secretly stationed outside, on January 9th, 1991, Mike Joyner made his move.
4: We were in the bar. We were dancing, and uh, I had a lot of money, and that's what she was interested in. She wanted to know if I wanted to go out and one night and party. And I told her, I said, uh, yeah, I'd love to go out. But I said, you stink. You ain't had a bath. And I don't know when. And I said, I stink. And I said, I ain't doing that. I'll go, I'll go get a motel room and we'll clean up. But I ain't going out with no stinking-ass woman.
0: Mike told Warnos to wait for him at the bar while he went to get his room key. Instead... He met with the task force outside.
4: And I meet with my outside people and tell them, you know, we make a plan because we knew what she had in mind. The exact words I told them was piss on the fire and calling the dogs. This hunt's over with. This is her. And I'm not going off with her because I'm not going to be the next victim.
0: Mike returned to the bar with a motel key and showed it to Wornos. He then waited for her to make the next move.
4: Could I get worried about it? No, she wasn't gonna kill me in the bar. I wasn't, you know, I really wasn't worried about it, not at that point. I just went and got another beer and said, just whenever you get ready, I'm ready to go, let's go.
0: A little while later, Warnos and the undercover cop walked out of the bar. The owner of the last resort, Al Bulling, was an eyewitness to what happened
5: next. They were just sitting at the bar drinking, you know. They didn't want to arrest her in the bar or anything because They didn't know what she had, or didn't want nobody else getting hurt, so they waited for her to walk out the door. As Soon as they hit the door, that's
4: when they arrested her.
0: Warnos was placed into a car and taken away. The task force had successfully executed the arrest safely.
4: I wasn't worried about my safety, because I had the best backup in the world. It was a relief, I think that's the best way to describe it as a relief.
0: The next day, authorities
1: tracked down Warnos's partner Tyra Moore in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And they said to her, let's make a, a deal. If you can provide evidence, if you can help us convict Eileen Warnos, then we will give you immunity from prosecution. So I think this, this was a very, very tempting offer. Tyra agreed to call Eileen
0: and let the police record their conversations.
3: Lee, they're coming
1: after
4: me, I know they are.
0: What?
4: i not to go to jail or anything. I have to confess, I will. Okay. Yes. Why the hell did you do this? Huh? Why did you do this? I
6: don't know.
4: Listen, Ty.
0: What? I'll probably never be with you. Can you know that, Yes. I love you. Okay.
4: I no, we will
0: do it now. Get it over with. Right this very moment, yes. Yeah, get it over with. All right. The same month she was arrested, Eileen Warnos fully confessed to all seven murders. I want to be
5: straight up with one thing right there and now. Sure. The reason I'm confessing is there's not another There There is. Okay, so then what you're telling us is you're voluntarily
0: coming forward to talk to us now. Yeah, to let you know that I'm the one that
5: did the
0: charge. Despite the severity of her crimes, Warnos refused an attorney. Well, I was an attorney
1: because I know what I did. I'm expecting
4: what I did, so I didn't let you do
0: it. But in what would be the cornerstone of her defense, Warnos claimed that in each case, the men had tried to rape her.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Most of the times I was drunk
0: as hell and I was a professional hooker and these guys would take my
5: shit because they to get drunk with me or whatever. I just like opened up and fired up
1: is trying to look out for herself. She's still trying to perform this role as the victim, because I think she's more than familiar with the fact that many sex workers are regularly raped and assaulted by their clients. And I think she's trying to garner a bit of sympathy for herself in, in doing this. I don't
0: know it. I know that I don't want my girlfriend involved, because this is why I'm doing this. they to
5: her parents, she did
0: not do Her trial for first-degree murder started a year later on January 13, 1992, at the Volusia County Courthouse near Daytona.
3: It was an extraordinary defense. After all, she could simply have reported them to the police. But she didn't do that. She took the law into her own hands and indeed executed them herself.
1: Wernos is a simmering pot of resentment, and it's not enough that she's killed her victims, but she wants to make them suffer after they've died. She wants to tarnish their reputations. So she says that her victims picked her up. They targeted her. They were the predators, not her. In an unusual twist, Wornos was only tried for her
0: first murder, that of 51-year-old Richard Mallory. Florida State Attorney John Tanner was the lead prosecutor.
6: In Florida, if you have a series of crimes that are related in certain factors, then you may be able to bring in evidence of those other crimes. In this case, it was murder.
0: Using what's called the Williams Rule, John Tanner was able to connect all seven murders.
6: Each of these killings looked almost identical, showing, I think, basically that This appeared to be the print of the same killer, and it certainly challenged the theory that she was simply defending herself against rape. When you're saying that everyone that picked me up tried to rape me in credibility becomes a real issue.
0: On January 27th, 1992, Eileen Warnos was found guilty of the murder of Richard Mallory and sentenced to death. Then came a major surprise.
2: One of the odd twists of this whole thing, after being sentenced for Richard Mallory's death, she elected to plead guilty for five other counts of first-degree murder, and she accepted the death penalty without going to trial. She really just wanted to get it over with. She didn't want to go to trial again, and she didn't want to face Tyria.
0: By November 1992, Warnos had been given a total of six death sentences. She was never charged with the murder of Peter Sims, as his body was never found. After 10 years of appeals and litigation, she finally met her
3: fate. Very close to the end of her life, she said, I have hate crawling through my system. I'm competent, sane, and trying to tell the truth. I'm one who seriously hates human life, and I would kill again.
0: Eileen Warnos was executed by lethal injection on October 9th, 2002.
6: Her reactions were a typical Eileen. She was verbal. She was discussing something about uh, the mothership's ready to blast off, uh, that she would be back again one day. And here we go.
5: I've told a lot of people that when we stop talking about Bonnie and Clyde, that'll probably be the same day we quit talking about Eileen Warnos.
1: Some people believe that she was an abuse victim, that she was very childlike, vulnerable. Other people feel that she was a sadistic killer. She enjoyed ending men's lives. In reality, it was probably a bit of both, and that's why we continue to be fascinated by her. In just one year, Warnos callously killed seven men in cold
0: blood. She remains one of the world's most prolific female serial killers. What Makes a Killer is an Audio Boom original series in production with Woodcut Media and hosted by me, Jennifer Notoso. This series is produced by Audio Boom's Lauren Bogle, Blair Payton, Pam Burroughs, Karen Bevan, Alexandra Jueno, and Neil Fern. Production for Woodcut provided by Andy Papadopoulos, Jenny Day, and Kula Anastasi. Original music by Ben Kreggi. Executive producer for Woodcut is Kate Beale, and for Audio Boom are Brendan Regan and Stuart Last. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. If you have some time, we would appreciate a review. On next week's episode of What Makes a Killer, Florida State University, Tallahassee, January 15th, 1978. Around 2.45 a.m., a a serial killer on the run broke into the Chi Omega sorority house and attacked four women. There's rape, he
1: beats people, he knocks people's teeth out, he bites the the buttock of one of the victims.
0: In four years, Ted Bundy kidnapped, raped, and sadistically murdered at least 30 young women during the mid-1970s.
1: He leaned in, I thought he was gonna kiss me. Instead, he said, do you know what? I'm gonna kill you.